you. Is that better? Now everybody can hear me. So we have set goals for ourselves, trying to be obedient to God uh, in terms of outreach and growth. We've added green balls to that tube in the back that represent gospel conversations or invites to church. Uh, our, our generosity is clearly up, even only six weeks in. Um, other churches and organizations uh, have, um, have planned to invest in our plans in renaming and rebranding, all in effort to see growth. We recognize, of course, that we might be building this up, doing these plans, laying these, these plans, uh, but God is the builder of all things in Hebrews 3, and that the builder of the house gets the glory, not the house itself. So we want to be sure to recognize three things off the bat. First, that God is sovereign over growth. None of this is God is sovereign over growth, right? Let me not confuse that. Uh, we don't get the credit for it. Um, Two, he must get the credit for everything, everything large and small. If something good happens here, we need to be quick to turn to God and say, thank you. And then number three, we need wisdom from him. We need wisdom from God to make any of this successful. He's sovereign, but we need wisdom, which is another thing that I'm excited about this week is our Proverbs series. Last week, we studied the concept of folly and how uh, folly is a refusal to genuinely see and submit to God, whether that's from a scoffer, a simple fool, or sometimes just out of stubbornness. And we know that any one of us is perfectly capable of all three of those. Two weeks ago, we kicked off the series of Proverbs and Wisdom, talking about the nature of wisdom, what it is and what Proverbs says about it. And ultimately, that if anyone lacks wisdom, he is to ask God for it and then start digging. Today, we're going to talk about the next theme in Proverbs, which is the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. So before we start digging, let's ask God for wisdom. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we know that your word says that we need your Holy Spirit to understand your word. We have printed or digital resources in our laps or in our hands. We have the education to read and to understand concepts. But unless you bless us now, we'll only drive away from this place as smarter sinners. Please use your word how you wish, but please stir in us a respect and a reverence and yes, a holy fear of you. Oh, Lord, don't destroy us, but cause us to tremble before you and to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Proverbs is interesting. It is a, a, a great book. I'll let you go back and, and review the, uh, the previous sermons on it, so I won't rehash them. But if you've read through Proverbs, you know that there are a handful of chapters that are all on one topic, right? Uh, there's, you know individual and just like the, the woman of the Lord in Proverbs 31, right? Most of the rest of Proverbs are individual sayings, one or two verses about one topic. So any sermon on Proverbs is going to be kind of all over the map. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to have a lot of the Proverbs and the verses that we read up on the screen behind me, uh, but there will be a couple of places where I'll have you turn with me and we'll dig into Scripture. 
The fear of the Lord is a very prominent theme in Proverbs. That specific phrase, if you, if you search for it on an electronic Bible app, uh, that specific phrase is used in the book 15 times, and that's partly why we're bringing it up today. The fear of the Lord is important in Proverbs, but it's also pro- uh, prominent throughout Scripture. If you use phrases or search for phrases like fear God or fear the Lord or fearing the Lord, those phrases are found throughout the Bible 86 times. They're in Genesis, they're in Revelation, and throughout the Scripture. In the Bible's wisdom literature, the fear of the Lord is said to be uh, the start of wisdom. It's kind of like symbiotic with wisdom. I'll show you what I mean in a minute. And it's even synonymous with wisdom. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? It is the start of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, sounds familiar, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom, all wisdom, starts with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom and fear of God are seen as symbiotic in Proverbs 2 verse 2, where it says, Make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. And then down in verse 5 it says, Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So they happen at the same time, and they feed into one another. So it starts with wisdom. Uh, It is the start of wisdom. It is symbiotic with wisdom. And the fear of the Lord um, is, uh, is synonymous with wisdom. If you look at Job... Uh, and let, let me read, uh, make your ear, I'm sorry, this is Proverbs 2, 2, we read, uh, and then things happen at the same time. In the same way Job puts it, Job says to, uh, to man, he, God, behold the fear of the Lord that is wisdom. It is synonymous with wisdom, with wisdom. and to depart from evil is understanding. So in all of the sermon series and all of wisdom, all of the Proverbs you read will benefit you. They will, but you will lose the greatest impact to applying those Proverbs, the eternal impact, if wisdom isn't coupled with fearing God. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, here's my working definition, and we're going to come back to this over and over throughout the day, throughout the, hopefully this won't last all day, throughout the sermon, all right? That's the number one point in your bulletin. The fear of the Lord is a respect for him, and an aversion to sin caused by the reality that God knows about my sin and that he will punish for it. The fear of the Lord is a respect for him and an aversion to sin caused by the reality that God knows about my sin and that he will punish for it. Our respect for God comes out of a recognition of his authority. Okay? And his authority is different from all other kinds of authority. We don't use the term fear, or we shouldn't in a healthy situation. We shouldn't use the term fear when it comes to human authority. We might use the term respect when we're talking about human authority today. <clears throat> we should respect those who have authority over us, especially when it comes to avoid, avoiding wrongdoing. I've been told that I drive like a granny, 
And uh, when I'm driving my minivan down uh, 85 on the way to work, I, I typically only speed when I'm not paying attention. And then more often than not, when I'm paying attention, I'm driving, I find myself driving under the speed limit. <clears throat> but when I spot a, a patrol car in the median, right, guess what the next thing is that I look at? My speedometer, right? That is an example uh, of respect for authority. God gives us human authorities to help us avoid wrongdoing. We respect authority. So in our definition, the fear of the Lord is a respect for him and an aversion to sin. I'm using the term respect to help us wrap our minds around the concept of our attitudes towards God's authority. But guess how many times in the Bible the phrases respect God or respect the Lord, or respect of God, or respect of the Lord, are used in the whole Bible. For those listening to the podcast later on, I'm making a zero sign with my hands. Okay? <laughs> Even contemporary Bible translators retain the meaning, of, the meaning of the Hebrew and the Greek words, fear. We fear God. So what is Fear. Webster's Online Dictionary says, Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous and likely to cause pain or a, th a threat. An unpleasant emotion? Is the fear of God an unpleasant emotion? God is love. Jesus already paid for my sins. God Doesn't God want to bless me and doesn't God want me to be happy? yes. Yes, God wants you to be happy at the time when it counts the most to be happy, and that is in eternity. And happiness in heaven will necessarily lead to some unhappiness and discomfort in this life. Does God want you to be happy? God wants you to be holy. Don't distract yourself. Don't dare tame or soften the truth. Given the fact that God sees your sin and that he will punish for it, the fear of the Lord does entail some unpleasant emotion. That's no doubt why C.S. Lewis cleverly chose to describe his God figure in the allegorical series uh, as Aslan the Lion, and no doubt you've heard it quoted when one character asks another whether this lion is safe, the other answers, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. If the God that you just sang to is safe, if he only wants to bless you, if he never talks to you about your sin, that's not the God of the Bible, and that's not who I'm preaching about right now. The God of the Bible causes an aversion to sin. The fear of the Lord causes an aversion to sin. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Again, be humble and your speech should reflect the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 6, 6 uh, Proverbs, uh, excuse me, verse 6 of chapter 16 says, By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. 
Those who fear the Lord, he says, will have an aversion to sin. But what is it about God that causes this aversion to sin? It's three things that we could list this morning. It's God's omniscience, he knows everything, and his justice, and his wrath. Okay, he's omniscient. God knows everything. Let me say that again. God knows everything. And we hear it. We're used to that phrase. God is omniscient. God knows everything. Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. In Job chapter 37, uh, one of Job's friends, the only one who probably had uh, his theology right, uh, Job's friend Elihu, challenges Job to compare him. He dares Job to compare himself with God. Um, I'm starting in verse uh, 14 of Job 37. Listen to this, O Job. Stand and consider the wonders of God. Do you know how God establishes them and makes the lightning out of, uh, of his clouds shine? Do you know about the thick layer, the layers of the thick clouds, the wonders of one who is perfect in knowledge? Elihu was telling Job that God is perfect in knowledge, perfect as in perfected or completed. There's nothing that God doesn't know. There are no corners of your heart that God doesn't see. There are no corners of town God doesn't see. There are no corners of your house that God doesn't see. And just because in God's patience, in his great slow-to-wrath kindness, he doesn't crush you the moment that you sin, doesn't mean that he's not watching and not keeping score. So God is omniscient. He knows everything. God is also just. The fear of the Lord is a respect for him and an aversion to sin caused by the reality that God knows about my sin and that he will punish for it. Let's talk about justice for a second. God is perfectly just. No human court can achieve perfect justice because God doesn't let one single act, word, or thought go unpunished or else he wouldn't be just. Um, Some of you know Gabe Correa. Many of you know Gabe Correa. He's not in this room right now because he's serving us, working uh, security for us right now. Gabe has a nice truck. I like Gabe's truck. Imagine with me for a second that uh, as I'm pulling out of the parking lot this morning, I back into his truck and I crush the taillight. He told me that he's got uh, full insurance on this, so that kind of mutes my my illustration is. But listen to me now, okay? Um, Gabe loves me. He doesn't, want, uh, he doesn't want me to have to pay for that. So Gabe forgives me. That's so nice, right? He forgave me, right? He just absorbed it. Is that how God forgives us? No, it's not. No, it's not. Now listen, Gabe can't drive his truck because I smashed his taillight and his brake light. So if he forgives me, what does that mean for the cost of repairs? Do I have to pay for it? No, he forgave me. He pays for the repairs, okay? Simple uh, simple illustration, but this, this is what I mean. Look, God doesn't just forgive. 
God doesn't just absorb damage. He doesn't just forget our sins. The sinners who are forgiven by God have had their, sin, their, their punishment paid for by God in Christ. And those sinners who don't believe and trust in that transaction for us by God will not be forgiven. And they will not, they, they will pay. Listen, in Psalm 28, 8 and 9, we read, Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire will devour them. And turn in your Bible, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Close to the beginning. Jonathan Edwards was an American theologian and an evangelist in the 1700s. He preached a famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he used this, chap, this verse in, or this uh, passage that we're going to read in Deuteronomy 32 as well as some, in, some verses in Psalm 73. So it sounds like you're there. Read with me in, uh, in Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 21. This is Moses writing to the children of Israel what God is saying to them, God is saying about them. They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people, and I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest part of Sheol and consumes the earth with its yield and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap misfortunes upon them. I will use my arrows on them. They will be wasted by famine and consumed by plague and bitter destruction. And the teeth of beasts I will send upon them and with the venom of crawling things of the dust. Skip to verse 35. God says, Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. You had enough yet? Well, from that same sermon, Jonathan Edwards also read from Psalm 73. If you're turning to it, it's starting in verse 16, Psalm 73, 16. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. They are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. Listen in that famous sermon. Jonathan Edwards pointed out that sinners are 
always exposed to destruction, and that destruction, that that destruction will be sudden and unexpected. He said, there is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the, the, the mere pleasure of God. God's justice demands that every sin be paid for, and his wrath is coming. Friends, that is the, the, the sobering reality that we call the fear of the Lord. And it's caused by the reality that God knows my sin and that he will punish for it. It certainly does and should entail a negative emotion. But there's a positive side to the fear of the Lord from Proverbs. As Christians, we can see what we're saved from. But for all men, even those negative emotions are intended for our good. Listen to Proverbs 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Here's point number two in your outline. I promise the next two points are a little faster than that last one. Fearing God results in the blessing of an ordered moral behavior. Fearing God results in the blessing of ordered moral behavior. Fearing God leads to human flourishing. It actually leads to prosperity. Listen to Proverbs 22.4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. So who prospers from fearing God? Actually, all of society prospers from fearing God. When God's people fear him, when unbelievers, even unbelievers will benefit from uh, benefit as society is impacted by the salt and light of Christians who fear God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls his disciples to this. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. He said also, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone take a lamp and hide it under a basket, but puts it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. And interestingly, Jesus also gives this parable in Luke 18. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and who did not respect men. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And listen, this is what Jesus said. And the Lord said, Hear what that unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring justice for the elect who cry out to him on uh, day and night and, who, uh, and he will, long delay over, will he long delay over them? Now, that parable is about being persistent in prayer, but it is intentionally, obviously, also an illustration about how godly living does impact other people and society will benefit from fearing God. Paul in 1 Timothy calls believers to pray for society, starting with believers. He said, pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. 
a tranquil and quiet life, that's not talking about saving. That's not talking about their salvation. We, all, we already have the Great Commission, right? A tranquil and quiet life is not salvific language. Christians are told here, in addition to building God's kingdom and by making disciples, we are to seek the blessing of a society. And as Christians show the world what it means to live in the fear of the Lord, all of society sees what ordered moral behavior looks like. And by God's active charity, even believers will follow suit. Listen, this is how it works for applying all of wisdom. Applying God's principles in Proverbs for about, for example, managing money and working hard normally results, under normal circumstances, it results in building wealth. No matter who applies that wisdom. Similarly, the fear of the Lord results in ordered living. Listen, sanctity of life, sanctity of marriage and family, the rule of law, honoring of authority, obeying the speed limit. These are all God's blessings on a society who fears him. So what did Jesus mean when he was talking about be the the salt of the earth? The light of the world seems obvious, right? We are to share the good news of the gospel and dispel the dark gloom of eternal condemnation. We are to be the light of the world. But Christ first said, be, follow, be, he told his followers to be salt of the earth. Uh, in food, salt is a contrasting flavor, right? I don't know much about cooking, but I've noticed that nearly any recipe that calls for any spice also calls for salt. Our lives should be a contrast from society around us. Listen, your language at work with zero swearing or dirty jokes should make you stand out like a, I don't know, a healthy thumb on a rotten hand, right? You should stand out. When your friends are gossiping, you are to stand out from that crowd and not participate and in kindness and in love express the gospel is wrong. Salt also was, uh, to continue this illustration, salt was in Jesus' day uh, the primary way to preserve meat. Did you know that? Salt can keep meat from spoiling. Jesus was telling his disciples that God uses them to keep a society from imploding into anarchy. When God's people fear him and the Holy Spirit uses that to influence society towards peace and prosperity by instilling a general fear of God in that society. Need an example? Why do you think the Bible Belt is so conservative? Is it because every human being in the Bible Belt is a blood-bought, born-again child of God? No, it's not. It's because this is God-fearing territory. Like, that's a thing. Look, according to Proverbs 22.4, the person who is humble and even has a superficial societal fear of God is better off than the one who does not respect God. The person can, that person can't expect under normal circumstances riches and honor and life. That's what Proverbs says. When a society fears God, it produces peace, security, and prosperity. But you and I know that that kind of superficial fear of God while it is a blessing from him, it's all temporary. That leads to point number three. God's people. For God's people, the fear of the Lord ultimately results in faith in God as Savior 
and obedience to him. For God's people, the fear of the Lord ultimately results in faith in God as Savior and obedience to him. God's people understand the true fear of the Lord. Proverbs 16, 6 says, By loving kindness and a truth, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. We know what it means to have our sins atoned for. We know that God's loving kindness and his truth, that he provides salvation and righteousness for us through his son. And speaking of truth, are you ready for this? Proverbs chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Christians know the truth. When you first understood the gospel, it was the Holy Spirit in you by the ministry of what we call regeneration. It's what we also call uh, being born again. Uh, that It was the Holy Spirit's ministry of regeneration that you first understood the reality that God knows about your sin and that he will punish for it. In other words, the Holy Spirit first gave you the true fear of the Lord that led to salvation. And as we grow in our understanding of God's justice and his wrath, it's God's people who genuinely appreciate what we've been saved from. As we read in Psalm 21, 8 and 9, your hand will find out your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you and you will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will devour him. That is how we can have strong confidence in the fear of the Lord as we read in Proverbs 14, 26. Remember the promise that we read that the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life? Okay. Believers prosper too. Only our benefits are eternal. Christ's followers know what he said also from the Sermon on the Mount about treasure. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moss and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your, heaven, there, for where your, treasure is there, your heart will be also. So the riches and honor in life promise from Proverbs what are those riches and honor and, and life that Christians are laying up in heaven? Well, when God wills, we see converts to Christianity. We make disciples. We reap eternal souls. Jonathan Edwards, when he preached that sermon, uh, his biography records, as spring passed into summer 1741, no one could keep well track of the number of places which were also witnessing revival. Churches in some places had been, that had been cold and dry at the beginning of the year were transformed before the end. It was astonishing, wrote Edwards, to see the, alter, uh, the alteration that there was in some towns where before there was little appearance of any religion. It has always been set up this way for Christ's church from the very beginning. In Acts chapter 9, Verse 31, we read, and this should sound familiar if you've been here a few weeks. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up, going on in what? In the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. 
So obedient fear of the Lord in the church results in his church flourishing. When God's people fear him, it also results in holy living. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Spirit-filled, sanctifying fear of God in the Christian results in what we call mortification of sin and obedient action. Mortification of sin talks about putting sin to death. Listen, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. While God has paid the eternal consequences of, for sin through Jesus' death, he calls us to walk in newness of life. We are to walk in absolute purity, not to be defiled, and to repent and confess sin as soon as we recognize what it is. That, my friends, is what we call the mortification of sin. And I can tell you from experience, it feels like facing death sometimes. In the Victorian-era novel, The Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens describes a character who was tried and convicted during the French Revolution, and he was condemned to the guillotine the next morning. In that jail cell in Paris, he paced the floor all night long, heart pounding, hands shaking, unable to rest or even focus his thoughts. Should he scream for mercy? Should he try to escape? What should he do with himself as the hours tick down? Dickens' poignant prose reminds me of what it feels like when I have to confess my sin and make it right with another believer. It feels like facing death, and no doubt, That's why Jesus told his disciples that if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross, the instrument of death. The believer who fears the Lord understands that the pain and the embarrassment and the shame of admitting sin is temporary, but God's wrath is eternal. Do you see how the fear of God, the true fear of God, impacts believers? Listen, for application this morning, I want to look at the context of that 2 Corinthians passage. We're going to go back in in, uh, chapter 6 a little bit. The term church uh, is translated from the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out. The ecclesia is the called out ones. Jesus called us out from the world, and our lives should be different. Read with me 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse, uh, I'm going to start with verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Verse 15, or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, 
I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from the midst of them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and my daughters uh, and daughters to me says the Lord Almighty. And then 7 verse 1, Therefore, having those promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Friends, the fear of the Lord is a respect for him and an aversion to sin caused by the reality that God knows about my sin and that he will punish for it. Fearing God results in the blessing of ordered moral behavior and for God's people, ultimately faith in God as Savior and obedience to him. We are to be the called out ones, called out from sinful behaviors and even from sinful company to keep you from distracting yourself or disbelieving God's sovereignty. In other words, uh, to keep you in the fear of the, the keep you in the fear of the Lord, your friends, your friends should be the ones who share salvation with you. Do not trust yourself to be influenced by those outside the kingdom. That will mean believing the gospel, abiding Christ, and obeying His word. That will mean not filling your mind with the media of the world. That will mean being deliberate in your relationships. That passage in 2 Corinthians is often used to point out the folly of a Christian marrying an unbeliever. Do not, do not date or marry an unbeliever. I can think of few things more spiritually suicidal to a person's relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, those who fear God are the called out ones. Here's my second point of application. God sees everything. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. You know better. Believe it and that will instill, instill the fear of God. Here's the final point of application. God punishes sin, all sin, every sin. As Jonathan Edwards points out, sinners are always exposed to destruction, and that destruction will be sudden and unexpected. He said, there is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one time out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. Don't be a fool. We are all those wicked men. You and I will pay for every sin against a might, an, an almighty and holy God for all of eternity except for his people who put their faith and trust where God puts their sin, on the cross of Jesus. Then before God's holy throne, where we will all fear and tremble before him, I have a strong and perfect plea. The great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me, as we sang before. Examine your heart now. Do you agree with God that your sin condemns you? Do you believe that his gift is sufficient for you? Do you believe into him? If not, you need to settle that today. God's gift of salvation in Christ is perfect, as in perfected or completed. 
and we're about to praise God for it. We're about to sing, what gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. Christians who fear God, we know what we're saved from. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Would you pray with me? Holy God, cause us to fear and tremble before you. Sir, when we read your word, when we reflect on your holiness and our sin, God, help us to fear you. In response to your payment for our sins, help us to love you. Help us to respect and revere you and to rejoice in your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.